Yeah. So the, the website is miniplay.com. M-I-N-I-P-L-A-Y. It's got a ton of games. Most of them look like knockoffs. So mm -hmm. like this, this plants versus zombies here mm -hmm. is it says fan made on it. So it's like, oh, we just copied the code and did our own thing, but it's totally not licensing infringement. <laughs> anyway, you wouldn't even <laughs> In know. No way, shape, or form. No way, shape, or form. Not at all. All right, let's start the show. podcast i am your host danny paul joining me in the bob media studios is our vice host the baron of bourbon the shah of santa margarita the liege lord of loathe leon coventry ladies and gentlemen danny i'm super psyched how long has it been feels like forever a couple of weeks a couple of weeks we we wanted not... to fire off the year and then you know stuff parenting <laughs> life vacations yeah you know life hits you. it's a pain in the ass shit is what it is yeah this is what it is. Well, it's great to be here. Okay, Sarah, Sarah. Great to be here indeed, because this is season three, people. Season three of the Bottle of Brown podcast. And I'm happy to note, uh, Leon, that we have a new segment tonight. And so the regular lineup that you, all the bobs out there might remember from season two, we're going to mix it up. We're going to keep all your favorites, but we're going to shuffle them because we're going to add some new favorites. And tonight we're doing a new segment on space and technology. So that's our science segment. I call it STS. Space technology science. What else we got on the docket here? We're going to go brown news. We got our top story. We've got uh, crank file. We've got what we're going to affectionately refer to as hero of the week, although it is technically a Florida man. And then we've got another top story that we're bringing to a closeout, which I think we've called like uh, happy times, or we'll figure out what we want to call it. But the idea is similar to bottom of the bottle rather than a random factoid. We're actually going to end it on a high note. So let's like, we like to make fun of people from Florida. And we're going to branch beyond Florida to find, you know, the hero of the week. Uh, but Happy Times is designed to end the show on a high note where we go, all right, faith and humanity restored. Because I think uh, we were having a little bit too much fun at other people's expense. And we want to we want to bring the spirits up a little bit. But um, we're not going to go with a loathe tonight. We're going to bring a loathe back in a future episode. But uh, Mr. Jones has expressed an interest in loathing himself. So we might do a point counterpoint. I don't know. I don't know. Season three. We're mixing it up. We're being well, if, dangerous. If we're not keeping it fresh, we're not keeping it excited. We're not doing the right thing. I think right. we need we need to make sure that everybody out there understands that uh hey, we're gonna involve with the times. This That's is right. this is not a static show. That's right. And That's I applaud right. all your efforts, Danny. Content, people. Speaking of content, what's Brown Knight, Leo? I went with uh something a little more rare and fancy tonight. Mm -hmm. I'm going with a Calumet Farm. Calumet. Teen year. Wow. Yeah, it's uh this one's a yeah, yeah. This was the March two thousand six barrel date. So and it's uh delicious. Not not overly crazy. It's only ninety six point two proof, but it uh it is smooth and delicious. As it should be. And uh, if you can find it, get it, get it and get it. All right. What about you, Danny? So if you remember from last episode, I'm kind of on a weeded bourbon kick because you can't find green label Weller. 
you know, unless you know somebody. And I saw the meme. I saw that there was supposed to be some Costco in Tucson that's got a whole rack of brown label Wellers. I call lies. <laughs> but I don't want to uh, I don't want to polish off my bottle of Weller because, you know, that's a unicorn. Once you ride the unicorn, it turns into fairy dust and disappears. So I've been trying to find other wheated bourbons. Uh, last mm-hmm. episode, I got a bottle of Redemption wheated bourbon, yeah. which is absolutely amazingly delicious. I drank all mm-hmm. of it. I had to get another bottle today. Tonight's drink is also a wheated bourbon, and this is Larceny. Oh, uh, good one too. And I know you're familiar with Larceny. So this is small mm-hmm. batch, 92 proof wheated bourbon mash bill. Mm-hmm. And I got to say- Larceny's it, uh, good. Yeah, it's good. I like it. I like it. I don't like it as much Danny, as Redemption, but I do like it. Have you crossed over? Are you on my dark side now? Uh, Are you no, a bourbon no, man? No, no, but I am uh, curious that, um, so I was in the total wines curious. today. I am bourbon curious. I'm a bourbon enthusiast. <laughs> I'm a guy who likes to bourbon. <laughs> well, the price point's better. That's for sure. For real. Except I was in the total wines today and I went by the glass case because I've tried Mr. Jones's thing of CVS and Safeway. And there's actually one more Safeway I can try in my area, but it's tough to find a good spot because I don't have any honest to God liquor stores, right? Like there's mm-hmm. no high times. There's no, what's the place that Triple B goes to? Oh, it's uh well, there's OC Bottle Shop and then there's uh, Cypress. Cypress. I don't have yeah. a Cypress. Based on based yeah. on her descriptions and your descriptions, I don't have anything like that. Um, So the best I can do is the big stores, but there's a gigantic one coming down here and surprise off 303 that's supposed to be umpteen million square feet of total wine. Anyway, to the point. Barrel. Barrel? Barrel? Do you know this brand? Barrel? Yeah. Mm B-A-R-R-E-L-L. Rather plain bottle. They're like the simple shoes of whiskey. There's Mm -hmm. just not much to it. There's it's 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 smooth glass. It's pretty. It's a very good looking bottle, but it's got very smooth lines to it. And I looked at the case and I was like, what the fuck? It's 300, 400, 600, 800. And they're all blends. Yeah. Yeah. So they're rocking a $600 glass in total wine of blends. And I said, all right, well, where's the cheap stuff? And I walked over to the regular aisle, you know, where the, where the thieves hang out and it was 120, 99, 80, 70. And so the cheapest barrel bourbon was Mm -hmm. 70 and it's a blend. Mm -hmm. Yep. I don't know what the world's coming to. Yeah. I don't, I can't, we, we have a couple of those and, and they're good. I haven't, I can't say that they're worth the price. I don't think that they are a value. Yeah. But if you got money to throw around and you want to buy good bourbon, it's you're not going to miss with them. It it tastes delicious, but yeah. I don't okay. think uh, I think you can get a lot more for less money. So, so the taste it's point not a value is there, buy, not the price point. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So what you're saying is it's this great a meat. That's right. <laughs> hey, if you get it for your birthday or for Christmas, it's it's a win. But yeah. uh, I wouldn't go out and buy it yourself. All right. I like it. Well, now that we talked about Brown, let's talk about Brown. How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where they hiding the scotch? What about, um, brown? That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Could I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? So, fun fact, that last clip in our Brown News intro, mm-hmm. do you know where that movie's from? Uh, is that Scrooged? It's Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day, okay. And do you know what today I, I knew is? the actor. It is Groundhog Day. We are recording on Groundhog Day! <laughs> I was going to say, he also likes to play in the uh, Pro-Am, which is up in the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, and mm-hmm. that's started mm-hmm. today as well. So, this was, That's, I think, the first reality 
So this was the end of the first day. And that's when he said, I'd like some more of these, some booze in it, please. And I ran across a very interesting article about Groundhog Day. He lived something like 35 years and 350 days. <laughs> if you presume that all of the high skilled stuff that he learns, like piano and ice sculpting and all that shit, if you assume it takes him 10,000 hours to get that proficient, mm -hmm. and then all the ways that he says he died off screen that we never see, mm -hmm. if somebody did the math, it was he spent 35 years living the same day. This just goes to prove that people have way too much time on their hands. It shows to go, yeah, I know, for real. Uh, you know that Mr. Jones and I went to Gobbler's Knob, the actual Gobbler's Knob on this, yes, the, on this day. The Gobbler's Knob. Not the one that looks like Chicago, but the actual one in Punxsutawney. You didn't go on Groundhog's Day, did you? Yes, we did. Absolutely. <gasps> we were there. That's why we celebrate every year by saying happy happy Groundhog Day to each other. So well, that's uh, that you know me. My, my life, I've already told you my life goal is to hit all the places in the locations on the dates where it's the biggest date. Ooh. We've talked about this. We have talked about I this. I want You're to right. be in Times Square on New Year's. I want I've been in New Orleans on Mardi Gras. I've been in Chicago on St. Patty's Day. I've been in Punxsutawney on this fine February 2nd. These are things I, I have to check off my list. You do. You do. So. You know what you got to do next? What? You got to figure out the day in July of 1969 and you got to go to the moon. <laughs> no excuses. Put yourself there. Uh, actually, it just needs to be a movie set, apparently. <laughs> Somewhere in Hollywood. I'm close All right, by. Rogan. Let's keep this going. <laughs> Tonight's brown news comes to us from InsideHook.com. This is the first bourbon aged in space. In space. After a conventional aging on Mystic Galactic Bourbon. Good name, huh? Mystic Galactic Bourbon will spend a year in low Earth orbit, or LEO, for you space nerds, if everything mm -hmm. goes right. The article begins, we've had bourbons aged at sea. Jefferson Ocean, tried it in the show, and Rise aged while traveling Route 66. Don't know that one. We'll have to add that to the list. But we've never yeah. had a whiskey aged in space, which may happen sooner than later thanks to an ambitious new bottle announced called Mystic Galactic. A heavily wheated, oh, I got to try it now, mm -hmm. a heavily wheated 100 proof bourbon from North Carolina's Mystic Farm and Distillery, Galactic, will be aged three years on the ground and then one year in space. Well, low Earth orbit. A ground control version will use the same mash bill, but will age conventionally only on Earth. Overall, the distillery expects to get about 1,000 bottles out of the experiment. How likely is this to happen? While high consumption reports the company's vague promise to work with companies like SpaceX, Rocket Lab, and Bank of America, it seems that potential customers are going to have a lot of faith. The good news is that Mystic promises that if they're unable to deliver the bourbon, Buyers will receive a refund of their deposit, less any event admissions and app access charges incurred up to that point. Still, it's a steep bet. $75,000, which gets you a 750 mil bottle in a specially mm -hmm. designed flight case. Whoa. A 50 mil tasting sample, part of the barrel that was in space, access to two ultra luxury events, the launch and the recovery, and an app where you can follow the aging process and get other information while the bottle is in orbit. There's also an NFT, which Whoa. normally would give us pause. But here it simply seems to be a way to authenticate bottle ownership. You also have to pick up the bottle in person. What do you think, man? I think that it's really cool idea. And also I really 
I mean, nobody knows what it's going to be like. So I, I feel like it's going to be like all those poor San Francisco fans that spent $4,000 on a ticket to watch their quarterback get injured in the first quarter. Yeah, that's what I think it's going to be. I think comparison. it's going to taste like snot. Yeah, that's exactly where I went with it. <laughs> That'll be a pretty bottle, won't it? It will be a pretty bottle. I think you can talk about it for years and years, but at the end of the day, it's it's going to suck. Yeah, the physics of a barrel in orbit and on re-entry present interesting questions of thermodynamics, fluid mechanics, orbital mechanics, and virtually every aspect of aerospace engineering. It costs about $10,000 a pound to go into space, Leon. So what are we looking at for a barrel here? But listen, we've already understood what makes a barrel good. Why do they age it longer? And why do we say, okay, that's what makes it good, you know, 20 years 18 year what makes it good it's that it goes through this we've talked about this over and over it goes through the seasons and the barrel expands and contracts what was interesting about like jefferson's ocean is it accelerates the process a little bit because it's sitting on a barge swishing around right so it's kind of like maybe it's more contact with the barrel and maybe it's absorbing some more of the barrels lots of humidity yeah but when you go up into space there's it's weightless. So why would it in any way, shape or form go in and out of that barrel? And I think it'll just sit in the barrel and it's climate there's controlled. Nothing, yeah. There's nothing. Doesn't that violate exactly, the rules? Exactly right. So okay. what about that makes it a better barrel? That's, that's, that's what I have to say about it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, it's a gimmick. It's interesting. It's very interesting. It's, it's the uh, equivalent to abstract art i look at it i don't understand it i would not spend thousands and thousands but there's morons out there that would yeah you're effectively looking at a hundred dollars a milliliter so serious shit hey i Uh, I, i'd love to know the science behind why they think that would make it taste any any better than just moonshine in a barrel you got me but you one whole barrel going to go up in space. You know, Elon might do it. He's he's interested in gimmicks like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, this isn't the first booze in space. Ardbeg conducted a very small experiment with some whiskey vials on the International Space Station in 2011 and an experiment on the International Space Station for bottles of space-aged wine happened more recently, but we can't think of another instance where barrels are going into orbit, especially because barrels are freaking heavy. Mm-hmm. Pause the show for a sec. How much does a barrel of whiskey weigh 550 pounds okay at $10,000 a pound ready for that yeah there are the two five and a half yeah, 5. million 5. dollars yeah so it's five and a half million dollars to send a barrel into space and they want to get 75 grand a bottle how many bottles do you think you get in a barrel what was 100 and, well i think on average it's 112 120 i want to say think right, so 120 bottles times 75,000 gets them nine million all right so they're going to double their money if they pull this off yeah all right. All right. I like the math. I'm proud of them. Well done. Yeah, because it hasn't been aged that long. The The angels have not had their cut. Space angels. Ooh. Space angels. Space I would watch that show. Angels coming on Netflix. Good name for a band, too. I can't find out what to watch. Watch Space Angels on Netflix. All right. <laughs> All right. That wraps up talking about Brown. Let's get to our top story. News team. And I got news for you. Tonight's top story comes to us from Fast Company. Okay. Breakdancing will soon be an Olympic sport. These guys designed a system to score it. Breaking electric boogaloo. 
Breaking will debut at the Summer Olympics in Paris next year. It's time to start learning how to watch it. <laughs> uh, you know, why not? Breaking. Would you rather watch figure skating or break dancing? Doesn't know how hot the skaters are. Fair enough. He must work out. I would say. All right. So another sidebar. Break dancing. I was listening to the radio on a family trip out to a restaurant and the stroke came on from Billy Squire. Mm -hmm. And the stroke was the routine that Will Ferrell goes out in the beginning of Blades of Glory. <laughs> and if yeah. you listen to it, it's a horrible song for having children in the car. <laughs> And all I saw uh, was that moment where Will Ferrell skates right by the judges and he jumps and does the splits and he points right at the judges and he says, you. <laughs> Have you ever noticed your children me. actually listen to every word of the song? Bill calls it out all the time, all the time. Like, I had no idea that's what the song was about. You got me. I had, I've, I've heard this song 40,000 <laughs> times in my life. And I don't know how to explain what I just heard, but you're right. That's what it's about. And you smell like urine a lot. <laughs> All right. The article begins. If you haven't thought much about breakdancing since Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo hit multiplexes in 1984 or are too young to know what that even is, it may come as a surprise to learn that a competitive head-spin-to-head-spin -head dance sport version of the form has been steadily growing in global popularity ever over the last few decades and is now set to become the newest Olympic event. The sport, which will be officially go by Breakin, when it makes its debut at the 2024 Summer Games in Paris, is part of the International Olympic Committee's efforts in recent years to attract younger viewers with globally popular subculture-based events like skateboarding, BMX, and rock climbing. In breaking competitions, pairs of dancers face off in, quote, battles, unquote, mm -hmm. adapting their moves in response to music selected, mixed, and scratched by a DJ. One dancer will have a performance, and then the other one will try to outdo them in some way. Viewers will see dancers facing off against each other, doing rounds against each other, says veteran UK-based DJ and breakdancing judge Kevin Renegade Gopi, who co-created mm -hmm. the scoring system called Trivium that will be used in the Olympics. Unlike a lot I of other it. sports where each person does their performance independently and then is scored, our sport is scored comparatively. This is no less ridiculous than synchronized swimming, uh, right? A little, a little less. You think could it's good. less ridiculous? Yeah, could be good. Could be good. All right, so I'm, I'm going to give, I'm going to throw some truth at you when we're done talking on this, on this, because okay. the the whole origin of breakdancing is pretty interesting. In the trivium system, officials compare each battle's dancers' moves and style to their opponents with special scrutiny paid to categories called body, physical move mind, creativity, and response to the music and the opponent's moves, and soul, interpretive mm. flair, and style. Because each battle is judged comparatively, strategic competitors will study their opponent's strengths and weaknesses in order to capitalize on them on the dance floor. If I know <laughs> that your weakness is footwork, for instance, I'd do some footwork because I'd know you wouldn't be able to respond, says mm. Niels Storm Rabitsky, the Berlin-German-based dancer and judge who co-created the scoring system. <laughs> Can you do that in a German accent, please? There's a, oh, uh, yes. <laughs> if Niels comes up later in the article. Uh, for a taste of the modern competitive format, check out the boys and girls finals from the 2018 Youth Olympic Games in Argentina, which included breakdancing as a way of testing the sport's viability for the main Olympic Games. The experiment was a major success with the Washington Post reporting that breaking turned in bigger social media numbers than any other sport in Buenos Aires. But how did breakdancing, which achieved its first wave of mass appeal when it burst out of the outer boroughs of New York alongside other forms of urban b-boy culture like rapping and graffiti, regain such broad international popularity that it's now 
coming to the Olympics. After the massive explosion of hip hop worldwide in 1982 and 83, the fad was over and the flame was going out by 86, says Renegade. Renegade, Renegade, who's Renegade? Renegade's the Brit. But in Europe and the UK, we continued to hold competition and we began networking with dancers and a loose federation of other leagues around the world. Diehards in Germany, UK, US, Scandinavia, Japan, and beyond nurture the flame with events growing in size and stature until the biggest comps began getting sponsored by brands like Red Bull and Monster Energy. Dedicated breaking websites and later viral YouTube videos gave the scene a massive boost with dancers from all corners of the globe inspired to invent new moves and outdo each other, says Storm. You'll have a kid in the middle of nowhere in Russia who has nothing to do all day except dance. As attention gathers, the longtime underground culture is changing rapidly. Practice facilities and gyms are opening up. Certain athletes get nutritionists, something we never had back in the day. Now Renegade says top breaking against athletes are fielding endorsement requests from Nike, Adidas, and others. Our scene has very special young dancers, athletes with something to say with interesting lifestyles. There's massive potential for those companies to benefit from what we do. Pretty neat. You ever seen one of these competitions? I've never seen the competitions, but certainly I've seen the street performers. Next time I see one, I'll send it to you because I get one occasionally on Instagram. Yeah. It's interesting. I think the only thing I'm not a fan of of this whole thing is I don't know that I'm psyched about the battle format. I think more people than less people would be psyched about the battle format one-on-one and who beats who. But I think if it was more like the gymnastics like floor exercise where it's like, Hey, everyone gets a chance to like, we're going to, I'm going to show you some shit. I'm going to, we're going to do some shit and we're going to blow your mind. And that would be cool because then you get to see everybody's strengths and then you get to compare it. So I understand it. I obviously don't know enough about the sport quote unquote uh, to, to make a comment like that. Just personally, as a viewer, I'd be more interested in seeing everybody at their best instead of trying to do things that they do a little bit better than the other person to see if they can catch them off guard. So it's a dance sport. Uh, and some of these guys are legitimate gymnasts, like the shit that they can do, you know, just whipping around. I mean, I bet you it's a version of uh, the men's floor exercise is pretty much what it is. Because you've got windmills yeah. and you've got headspans and you've got all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, fun fact, I remember I remember taking an African-American studies class in college and they brought in one of the guys that I think eventually went on to found the Jabberwockies, which is the big group that wears the, mm-hmm. the white masks and they do a Vegas thing. Yeah, and he was won. talking about Brooklyn and, and Staten Island and Queens and all all the boroughs of where of where breakdancing came from. And he taught me that the moonwalk is not the moonwalk, it's the backslide. The moonwalk was actually this thing where you spin around. And so Michael Jackson took the backslide and recoined it the moonwalk. And everybody thinks it's the moonwalk, but it's not. It's the backslide. And the other thing he says is you got to think about how breaking was done in the 60s and 70s because there weren't guns back then. It was just knife fights. Think about West Side Story. He said, so what these guys would do from rival gangs is they'd go into the club and they didn't want to start trouble in the club because you stab somebody and the whole club empties and the night's over. So what they would do is they would have dance battles and the moves came from all of the ways in which they would fight them out on the street. So they would make motions like stabbing, choking, punching. He said, and that was the way kids in the 60s and the 70s did it before they started having guns in the 80s. And what happened was that became associated with gang culture, which is kind of what pushed it out of the club and into the street. 
And that's why in the eighties, you got kids busting around on, uh, you know, cardboard and shit like flash dance. And then breaking came along and, and breaking two and, uh, crush groove and you know, all those, all those movies. So I was always fascinated with the idea of this stems from decades ago, gang culture. And now it's become kind of this household quirky little thing that makes us win to the Olympics. So Cedric, the entertainer just nailed it in Kings of Comedy. When he does that whole piece on breaking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I so love they that. Break dancers. And that's what break dancers want to do is they talk about how I'm going to do something to you, but they do it on the dance floor and they do it so that the party keeps going. Well, I respect the concept. I don't know. I, don't, I just, the battle just doesn't make sense to me. I understand that's the history of it. So, so be it. Great. Awesome. I can't wait to see it. I think it's, it's on par. It's incredibly athletic and uh, requires a lot of practice and a lot of athleticism and training. And I think when you watch somebody do it live, it's it's hard to believe it, you know, when they know what they're doing. So I, I can't wait. Let's see the best in the world. Yeah, that wraps up our top story. We'll be right back. And we're back. So bourbon aged in space, which brings us to our new segment. It's called Science Technology Space. Science isn't about why, it's about why not. Droid. Technology. Yes, science. Technology. Space. What do you think, Leon? I'm jazzed about it. New segment. I want to know more about science. Science! All right, so today's... Uh, our first opening segment from Science Daily, and this is a legitimate scientific paper that was published in November. The source is the Cell Press, and the summary is, you want to fire up the dance floor? You got to play low frequency bass. That's right. Not to be confused with this low frequency bass. That's a different kind of bass altogether. <laughs> Find out how different aspects of music influence the body. Researchers turned a live electronic music concert into a lab study by introducing levels of bass over the speakers that were too low to hear and monitoring the crowd's movements. Scientists found that people danced 11.8% more when the very low frequency bass was present. To find out how different aspects of music influence the body, researchers turned a live electronic music concert into a lab study. The study appears November 7th in the current in the journal current biology. I'm trained as a drummer and most of my research career has been focused on the rhythmic aspects of music and how they make us move, says first author Daniel Cameron, a neuroscientist from McMaster University. Music is a biological curiosity. Doesn't reproduce us, doesn't feed us, doesn't shelter us. So why do humans like it and why do they like to move to it? Cameron conducts research at the McMaster Live Lab, which connects science with live performance in a unique research theater. It's equipped with 3D motion capture, a Meyer sound system that can replicate various concert environments, and enhanced speakers that can produce extremely low frequencies, so low they're undetectable to the human ear. For the current biology study, Cameron and colleagues recruited participants attending a live lab concert for electronic music duo Orphix. The concert goers were equipped with motion sensing headbands to monitor their dance moves. Additionally, they were asked to fill out survey forms before and after the event. These have forms you or have you not ensure, taken ecstasy? Uh, nothing about X yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> These forms were used to ensure the sound was undetectable, measure concert enjoyment, and examine how the music felt physically. Throughout the 45-minute concert, the researchers manipulated the very low bass playing speakers, turning them off and on every two minutes. 
They found the amount of movement was 12% greater when the speakers were on. The musicians were enthusiastic to participate because of their interest in this idea that bass can change how the music is experienced in a way that impacts movement. The study had high ecological validity, and this was a real musical and dance experience for people at a real live show. The feeling of vibration through touch and the interactions between the inner ear and the brain have close links to the motor system. The researchers speculate these physical processes are at work in the neurological connection between music and movement. This anatomy can pick up on low frequencies and can affect the perception of groove, spontaneous movement, and rhythm perception. Very low frequencies may also affect vestibular sensitivity, adding to people's experience of movement. Nailing down the brain mechanisms involved will require looking the effects of low frequencies on the vestibular, tactile, and auditory pathways. Ain't that some shit? I think nerds just overanalyze something that was really cool. Dude. I mean, obviously people dance more with bass. Bass is vibration. Bass is the beat, right? Right, but a specific beat makes you dance. A specific dance to the frequency, beat. a specific frequency of bass casts a spell on people because they can't hear it. Mm. You know what I'd do? I mm. I would I would plan on this. I want to find out what the frequency is. You want this? Well, this we would have done this in college. We throw mm-hmm. a party. We throw a dance party. Mm-hmm. We put some music on. We get everybody out on the floor. Yeah. If the ratio is too many dudes, then you put on the <laughs> I can't stand this frequency, and you get them to leave. And if the now, ratio this is, is science that helps the ratio people, is more I know girls, where you're going with this. Then you put on yes. the, I got to move frequency and then you get out there and you yell house cup and you go, Hey, how you doing? It's my house. Yeah. Yeah. What's your name? Yeah. But they need to figure that out. They need Have to figure out how Leon. do they make the ratio closer to 50, 50, or at least higher on the female population. Cause yes. that brings now, everybody course, in. Follow up study. Does the frequency affect gender? Because then okay. boom. Every fraternity in the world is going to want to research. Yeah. Yeah. You can find yourself at a party. You're not going to have to worry about some drunk guy at the microphone with his dumb shitty band. It's all poles and no holes. Get some girls up to the front. I'll never forget. Hey, what, what was that bar? Was it Sharky's in Santa Barbara? Our, our, our buddy, uh, our buddy Q loves this story. So I'm going to tell it anyway, because <laughs> it's cause so mortifying to me and everybody loves mortifying stories. When I was, it was, it was a dance club, like good music going. Everyone's dancing. I'm feeling good. I'm dressed up. Everyone's having a good time. I go up to the bar, good looking girl at the bar, you know, music's pumping. And it's that one song. If you're sexy and you know it, clap your hands. So of course I clap my hands to that. And I get this look of disdain as I clap my hands. And I, I just looked right at her and said, what? I'm sexy. <laughs> she walked away. <laughs> oh, Q loves that story. I, <laughs> I'm sexy on the inside. <laughs> you just got to have enough self confidence to say that. And she was not pleased with my response, oh, nor yeah. my clapping of that song. Oh, fucker. Yeah. Oh, I, no. Yeah. That's how, it, that's how it goes Good sometimes. You you be yeah. sexy. So every time I hear that song, Q's always looking right at me, and I you better believe I still clap. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, so that's our new segment. Look forward to more science, technology, space as the season continues, and we'll bring you lots of nice, weird uh, Neil deGrasse Tysonisms and and anything that we run into that uh, that taps the uh, taps the science nerve. So very weird, Leon. It's time for the crank file. <gasps> I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. What? Tonight's crank file comes to us from CBS News. This is dated January 4th, Leon. So this is uh, less than a month old. Current. This happened recently. (laughs) This is current news, people. Melted butter 
clogs historic canal and storm drains after dairy plant fire in Wisconsin. <laughs> a dairy plant caught fire in central Wisconsin on Monday night, sending the melted contents of a storage room full of butter flowing through the building as it went up in flames. Local authorities said the runoff seeped into surrounding storm drains as well as large canal adjacent to the business, which ultimately clogged the waterway despite crew efforts to contain the spread. The blaze broke out at a dairy processing and packaging plant owned by Associated Milk Producers of Portage, Wisconsin, small city located roughly 50 miles north of Madison, around 9 p.m. local time. Portage Fire Department wrote in a Facebook post, firefighters dispatched to the scene that night reported heavy smoke, fire visible on the roof of the multi-story concrete structure when they arrived. Officials said response teams were initially unable to access the building as they were pushed back by the heat and smoke, as well as the runoff melted butter. Officials determined that the fire began inside a room at the plant where butter was being stored and the runoff occurred as a result of increasing heat throughout the building. The cause of the fire itself remains under investigation, the fire department said. No injuries were reported in connection with the incident. Concrete building, dude. I'm going to talk about one gigantic oven. Listen to me. I'm going to go full conspiracy theory on us here. <laughs> What it was the almond people. The fuck is going on with our food production facilities that in no way, shape, or form are flammable? Milk or, or dairy. We got chickens, eggs, meat. I, I heard, and I, let me, I'm, I pull up this article here. By the spring of 2022, there was over 90 events of fire damaged meat packing plants and other, other plants. What the hell is going on? Are they all by the Great Lakes? No, these things aren't flammable. More, more chickens and dairy. It, it's, it's, it's unmis. It just doesn't make any sense. These things don't burn naturally. After working to fight your- the fire for multiple hours. Yeah, there you go. You can cut all that out if you want, but there's some fucking shit going down. It's unexplainable. Oh, uh, the feed froze. So I hope, I hope I could pick you up. Yeah, that's, that's because you know the Illuminati is picking up what They're we're talking about right now. Things. Yeah, Zoom Nazis. After working to fight the fire for multiple hours, firefighters from multiple area departments were able to contain and extinguish the blaze before it could spread past the firewalls and throughout the building, emphasizing that the butter runoff and heavy smoke slowed access to the structure. A hazmat team also responded to the blaze and attempted to contain the runoff flowing into the nearby storm sewers in addition to the Portage Canal. The canal, once used for commerce, is considered a historical landmark and plans for its restoration have been underway for years. They placed boom and other absorbents to control the runoff, said the fire department, noting that the Department of Natural Resources would evaluate any damages to drains and waterways. Well, well you know, there, Sammy, they were, uh, they were considered a historical landmark and uh, plans for its restoration have been underway for years. <laughs> Looks all like they're the, finally the, going to start those restoration plans. All the plants are all going to gain a lot of weight in, in butterfat. <laughs> you know what are you got to do? Yeah. All the popcorn. All the popcorn, all the corn, corn. Just go out to the river. Yeah. You know, all I know is they cannot claim anything in Wisconsin is vegan anymore. It's everything <laughs> is covered in butter. Oh, oh, butterfed grass. Full circle. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I don't know, man. This is, it's just whack. I don't get it. I don't, I, I don't know. Not good. Not good stuff. <gasps> that wraps up the crank file. Let's get to Hero of the Week. Of the Week. In our transition over to Hero of the Week, we actually do have one from Florida, and this one is actually very tasty. This one was January 18th, 2023. This one comes to us from 97x.com, the classic rock authority in Miami. <laughs> 
<laughs> headline. <laughs> so you know it's true. <laughs> the headline reads: Florida man attempts to rob a grocery store with a stapler. <laughs> Why not? Image courtesy of Miami-Dade County Jail slash Canvas slash Google Maps. Let's let you know that the graphic designer wasn't original. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Miami-Dade County, a South Florida man who was previously arrested in a child abuse incident has been arrested once again, this time for a poorly planned attempt at a robbery. Police say last Thursday, last Saturday, 31-year-old Patrick Abbott faced a judge in some armed robbery charges. Last week, Patrick Abbott walked into a Publix grocery store and handed one of the employees a note he had written on a receipt demanding money and saying he had a gun. According to the police report, the note read, read carefully, I have a gun with me and put the money in the bag. After the victim read the note, police said she went to help a coworker and called for help using the guise of being busy getting the money together. Patrick Abbott left the supermarket empty-handed and was later arrested when officers caught up to him not far away where he was throwing the note in the garbage at the Hunter block of Northeast 50th Street. Police said he was identified by the victim at the store and taken into custody. The gun that Abbott claimed to have in his pocket, a black stapler. Oh, I was hoping it would be red. Well, we can't see if it's a swing line stapler. This just looks like a generic clip art image of a stapler. This is actually less cool now that you're telling the story this way, because when you first read the headline, I thought he was holding a stapler in his hand, threatening people. No, I'm sure money. he did the, uh, you know, the pocket of the jacket. Like, I got a gun. Yeah. Put the money in the bag. <laughs> in the bag. Go ahead. Publix and the robbery was located at 4870 Biscayne Boulevard in Miami. Abbott was recently out on a felony bond for another incident last month where an off-duty officer spotted him in a Walmart parking lot. He was witnessed repeatedly dropping a four-month-old baby onto the pavement. I mean, come on. Some people just need to be put on Alcatraz and left there. I'm sorry. Like, we just have to. There's just, there's just no coming back. This person will never be a productive part of society. In that incident, Abbott was charged with child abuse. Yeah. Not just dropping a four-month-old repeatedly. Yeah, the repeatedly is the key word there. <laughs> so, uh, child abuse, armed robbery, stay put at the grocery store. <laughs> Did he write the note in crayon? Because that would just, that would oh, be necessary would, details omitted from the story. Yeah. Come on, 97X, the authority in classic rock. Was there a staple in the note? That would have, that would have been like the ultimate. That's like a bullet hole. He's kind of making a face like, I'm going to get that step back, right? You know, he doesn't look as crazy as his stories are about yeah, He him. doesn't look as crazy as a guy that tries to rob a store with a stapler and drops a four year old or no, a month old. That makes it even better. Yeah. Well, thank you, 97X, the classic rock authority. I appreciate everything, all your your hard news reporting. That wraps up here of the week. All right, Liam, we're going to end on another new segment that we're calling Happy Times. Good. We need this. This week's Happy Times comes to us from goodnewsnetwork.org. Hero or nuts, he ran a marathon every day in 2022 and then went to work at his job raising a million dollars for charity. That's oh, a picture of a happy him. dude with a beer in his hand mm. running for cancer support. Mm. The article begins, for many, running a marathon is an accolade of life, a culturally fixed way of proving athletic ability and determination. But for Gary McKee, it's literally just another day in the office. McKee ran a marathon every day of 2022 to raise money for cancer treatment, 
and a simple multiplication problem of 26.2 times 365 will reveal he ran 9,500 miles during the year, equivalent to crossing the United States three times. I mean, the picture you look at, he is not a young buck. Yeah, he doesn't inspire confidence, but apparently he's badass. Unbelievable. Every day. That's hard to believe. He ran through 20 pairs of running shoes. And what's more, his marathon was only a prelude to going to work in the morning at the Sellafield nuclear site. That's it. Uh, well, there you go. Yeah. On New Year's Eve, he finished his final marathon to cheering crowds and fireworks near his Cumbrian home. News came in that he had made his one million pound mark for donations to Macmillan Cancer Support and West Cumbria Hospice at home. It's not the distance. It's because it's the last one. It'll be a special day. Cancer affects everybody, so it isn't just a West Cumbrian thing. It's a national thing. Good for him. I just hope that people do get behind us and we do raise that million pound. If we don't, it won't be because I haven't run 365 marathons. Absolutely. After McKee has finished, he expressed his consentment in laconic terms, telling the BBC, we've done the job. He celebrated with his, his supporters, a marathon man IPA in his hands on what was a cold and rainy yet intensely satisfying December day. That's incredible. This guy is an absolute hero. Cheers to you, Gary McKee of West Cumbria. United Kingdom. Is that like a, that's got to be a world record. Like how can anyone run a marathon every day? It's absolutely Forrest Gump. United States three times. Yeah, absolutely Forrest Gump. He doesn't have the beard though, but. No beard. Yeah. No beard, but he's got a smile on his face. He's fit as you would imagine. He's fit as you would imagine. That's correct. He earned that beer. 9,500 miles, one marathon every day of 2022. And on his final marathon, he celebrated with a beer and raised a million pounds sterling. To fight cancer. That's amazing. Good that for him. Our happy time that we will take to close up the show. How you feeling, Leon? You feeling better about humanity? I am. Thank you, Danny. This was the this was the right decision. We need to, to end we need to we need to end on that upper. I like it. He's an upper. That's our show. You can email us at bottleofbrown at gmail.com or call us at 602-529-4562. Leave a message for Danny, Leon, or Mr. Jones. Give us ideas for content or refute anything we say on the show. If you like the show, please like, follow, subscribe, share with a friend. We're on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Share a drink with us next episode. Same brown time, same brown channel. Bottleofbrown.com. This place is dead anyway, man.